This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au If you have a, a Bible on you, why don't you turn that on? Let's be real, most of you are turning on the Bible, you're not opening it, you've got a digital one. But if you do have an analogue Bible, pull that out as well and um, turn to Ecclesiastes 3. And we'll be reading from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 to 14. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Thank you, Keith. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Anchor City, and I am really excited to be with you guys this morning to share this message, to be part of this Baptism Sunday. Uh, I'm part of West Pimble GC as well. Not as loud as Ultimo GC this morning, I can see. Uh, hey, let me pray and let's get into the message. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the joy of this morning that we get to witness uh, people being baptized uh, we thank you for the excitement and just the joy of seeing people declare their faith in you. Uh, we thank you for new life. And we pray now, Lord, as we turn to your word that you would speak to us. We believe that you are a speaking God. And so we ask that you would uh, meet us now in this moment by your spirit, that you would open our, our ears to hear, give us soft hearts, Lord, to, to hear and receive what it is that you want to say to us. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, we are, uh, Katie and I are getting to the point in our lives where our parents have started to talk about and consider and action uh, downsizing. Uh, you know, moving from the homes that we grew up in and spent so much of our lives in, uh, where all these memories were made, and moved to a smaller 
house or apartment with less rooms um, for less children. And last weekend, uh, my in-laws had the whole family over for kind of a last hurrah as they prepared to move out of their home, which happened this week. And so uh, Katie's whole family with all the partners and the grandchildren, um, she's one of five, we all headed over to the house uh, where they had grown up and we ate and we drank and we celebrated and we reminisced and there was a slideshow going on the TV um, with photos from, you know, the childhood of the children and it was just a, a great time and this mixture of emotions, uh, sadness, nostalgia, uh, celebration as well for the times that had been spent there, for the memories that had been made, for the lives that had been formed and grown up in those walls. And um, before we left, Katie actually asked me if I would go upstairs with her to say goodbye to her room, uh, where she had spent over 20 years of her life. And my parents have started talking about the same thing, downsizing and selling the home that my sister and I grew up in. And when these conversations come up, and even being in that space last week, it's just crazy to consider and to think about how much time has passed. How much time has passed from when we were kids, playing in the garden, just hanging out in the home, not thinking about too much. I wonder if um, you're here today and maybe you are currently going through that right now with your parents or with your home. Uh, maybe that's something that's begun to be discussed at the family dinners at the moment. And you know, it's moments like these that I think reveal the vanity of time. That's the message for today, the vanity of time. Or perhaps better put, the vanity of our attempts to be in control of time. I'm sure we've all experienced moments in our lives where uh, maybe you wish that you could just make time slow down because you're just having maybe an amazing week. It could be that resort holiday in summer or just a really golden, beautiful season uh, of child raising. And you just wish that time would slow down so you could enjoy it for a longer period of time. Or maybe you think back on a fond day, maybe a wedding day or the birth of a child or some great accomplishment, and you wish, hey, it would be amazing if I could just replay that day maybe just one more time or a few more times. Or maybe on the flip side of that, maybe you think back and you think, well, it would be great if I could have just skipped those days altogether. Or maybe this season that I'm in right now, it'd be great if I could just, if life had a fast forward button, I could just press that and we could skip right through that. But the clock keeps ticking, life keeps going, time keeps passing us by. And what we come to realize over and over and over again is that we are not in control of time. And so there is a vanity to it. There's a vanity to the fact that time is fleeting. And as you consider that thought this morning, I wonder what that raises for you emotionally. Like, does that bring you relief? Uh, or does that bring you joy? Uh, is, is that the cause of feelings of sadness or feelings of happiness? So the question that we are going to look at this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is, what do we do with the reality that time is outside of our control? What do we do with the reality that time is outside of our control? So if you have a Bible there, 
Keep it open or keep your screen on at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have a notebook or you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to grab that out as well as we have a look and dive into the text. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first thing that we're going to see this morning. So we're going to look at the text, see what it has to say, come to an understanding, and then jump into some, hey, what does this actually mean for us today in our age, in our lives? And so the first thing that we see is that there is a season for everything. There is a season for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, the teacher of Ecclesiastes writes, there's a season for every activity under the heavens. And so the teacher is then going to list 14 pairs of activities. And these activities, they're not random. He hasn't chosen them by kind of just plucking them out of the air. But these are 14 pairs of activities that summarize the full range of life's experiences. And as you probably would have noticed there, as Keith was listing them off for us, each pair has within it uh, two opposites that communicates a sense of completion and wholeness. Let me give you an example. In verse 2, the teacher says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. And so he's saying life contains moments of new birth where life begins, but also moments of death where life ends. Uh, Even just this year, uh, we sadly said goodbye to my grandfather who lived a Long life, well into his 90s, uh, and that was a time of death, a time to die. Um, But later this year, in October, my wife and I are expecting our first child, a time to be born. Well, consider the next line that runs straight after that, a time to plant and a time to uproot. So life contains seasons where the time is right for people to lay a foundation and put down roots for future seasons of growth, but also seasons where it's time to uproot and move on, much like uh, my sharing about our parents downsizing in their homes. A time to uproot and to move on. The chapter has closed. And so as we scan down the list, we see a number of pairs that are probably very familiar to our experiences. And I wonder, as I read these, do some of these resonate with you? In verse 4, the teacher says, A time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Or in verse 6, a time to keep and a time to give away, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Verse 7, and in verse 8, the pair is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So the teacher here is describing this great diversity of the seasons and the times of life, the whole range of human experiences, both positive and negative, that we typically encounter. And so there's a comprehensiveness to the way that this summarizes the human experience. Now, you might be wondering about some of the perhaps more negative verbs used in this list to describe the different seasons. So, for example, as I was reading this during the week, a time to kill in verse 3, stood out to me, or a time to hate and a time for war in verse 8. And so what's going on here? Is this the Bible and therefore God's endorsement of killing or murder or hatred? Well, I'll give you a short answer because there's a long answer and a short answer, but the short answer is I don't think so. I think firstly, you need to make sense of what the author intends by using the word. Some of these words have a very wide range of use. 
So rather than importing our own meaning and our own cultural lens into the text, we need to try and understand what does the author actually mean. But secondly, and perhaps uh, more importantly, we need to pay attention to the fact that Ecclesiastes uh, is a book of the genre called wisdom literature. And so if you're joining us today and you might be uh, here for the first time, we don't normally come to church. Firstly, I want to say thanks for being here. You're amazing. And secondly, I want to let you know that the Bible isn't just one, one big book from start to end, but it's a book of 66 books made up of different types of genres, different types of writings. And so Ecclesiastes, which we're in right now, is called wisdom literature. Uh, By nature, in its genre, it is poetic. And so what I suspect the teacher is doing here is actually making an observational statement about the world. The teacher is saying, as I look at the world and as I watch my own life and the lives of others, these are the seasons that I see happening. These are the things that I see occurring. And so this poem is very much more a description of the breadth of human experience more so than the teacher making a theological statement about what God approves of or disapproves of. But bringing it back to the point that there is a season for everything. Quite literally, our time on earth is full of a diversity of times and seasons, both positive and negative. And the second thing we're going to see in the text here is that God is sovereign over time. God is sovereign over the time and the seasons. We see this firstly in verse 1, as the teacher writes. Have a look there, verse 1. The description, every activity under the heavens. And later in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, the writer will say, where is God? And then answer their own rhetorical questions, saying, God is in the heavens. And so all of this, all of these seasons are taking place under the watchful eye of God. God. We see this concept again in verse 11 where the teacher says, He, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And note the word beautiful here is not a comment on things like killing or war or death being beautiful, but rather a comment on the perfect nature of God's timing. See, God is the one who is making things happen and bringing them to be at just the right time. And the teacher is saying he's done that from the beginning of time and he's going to do that all the way throughout history until the end of time. Uh, Philip Ryken, the theologian, he says it much better than I could. Have a look at this quote. He says, God is the king of time. He regulates our minutes and our seconds. He rules all our moments and all our days. Nothing happens in life without his superintendence. In fact, everything happens when it happens because God is sovereign over time as well as eternity. So like a conductor directing each part of an orchestra through the rises and falls of a musical, or like a movie director guiding a cast and a crew through the filming of a cinematic epic, every season occurs by and under the watchful hands of God. He is the invisible yet present and indispensable captain steering the ship that we all find ourselves on as we journey through the waters of life. 
God is over everything that happens, and nothing catches him by surprise. Uh, But not only that, look at what the teacher says in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And so God is so above everything that that not only is he the one who's guiding it throughout time, everything he does will endure forever. And nobody, the teacher says, has the ability to alter or change it. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. So there's a season for everything. And God is sovereign over time. That's what we see in this passage. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in our day and age, in the lives that we are currently living? And I want to share a few things that this means for us this morning. The first thing is this. It means all our seasons are validated. Say that again. It means all our seasons are validated. See, because it is normal to experience a whole host and range and diversity of seasons, that means every season that you walk through, even the negative ones, are valid. You see, contrary to what Instagram influencers want to tell us every time we open the app and scroll through reels, I want you to listen to me. You are not defective or failing if your life does not exclusively consist of you killing it. You are not defective or failing if your life does not exclusively consist of you killing it. And I'm sorry because this might be crushing someone's uh, life narrative this morning, but you were not created to only experience the highs and the positives and the mountaintops of life. That's not normal. In fact, that's actually actually abnormal. You see, our culture wants all the positives of life without the negatives, all the good parts without the bad in every season. But the truth is, even the influencers who seem like they've got it all together every single day and they want to give you tips about how to be healthy and wealthy and strong and fit and whole, even them, even they experience times of weeping and times of mourning to use the descriptors that the teacher gives here. And because this is true, there is nothing wrong with you when you go through and experience negative seasons in life. We need to hear this this morning. Because we are so discipled, we are so taking our cues from a fake illusion online that tells us we need to be killing it, we need to be slaying, we need to be winning, everything needs to be a hundred. And that's just not real life, is it? And if we can come to terms with that, and if we can understand that all of our seasons are valid, let me tell you what that does for you. It frees you. It frees you from the pressure and the expectation of a culture that constantly pretends that it is out there killing it. And so men, guys in the room, if I could talk to you for a minute, if you don't have it all together, 
If you're not this prototypical, I've got everything sorted. I'm amazing. I'm confident. Look at my life. Look at what I've achieved. Look at what I have. If you if you don't have it all together, guess what that makes you? That doesn't make you weak. That makes you normal. And ladies, if you are not waking up every day looking like a 10, rolling out of bed and just slaying it in every aspect of life, guess what that makes you? It doesn't make you inadequate. It doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't make you not enough. It makes you a human being. Wow. How freeing is that? See, if we can learn to accept that the normal human experience includes the full diversity of ups and downs and positives and negatives, then we can stop pretending. And in seasons of difficulty and trial and suffering and hardship, we can actually allow God and other people to meet us in those spaces and lift us up with love and support and compassion and friendship. And how countercultural would that be in a world that is buckling under the pressure and the relentless need to appear capable and successful? You see, often when it comes to our own sense of support, our own sense of, of well-being, and community and that feeling like, you know, others have got your back and they're around us. Often I think that our greatest difficulty in that is not actually other people. It's not actually God and, you know, the failures of God and other people to meet us where we are. Although, yes, I can definitely acknowledge, you know, people hurt people and we do fail each other. That's definitely true. But often our greatest obstacle and our greatest challenge to having the support and the love and the care that we need is actually just ourselves. Because we don't think that every season is valid. And so when we enter a negative one or a difficult one, when we're going through suffering or hardship, because we don't allow ourselves to know that that is normal and valid and okay, guess what? We don't let anyone else know either. And often the greatest obstacle to our own vulnerability, it's not that other people aren't meeting us in that place, it's that no one knows. Because we won't show it. And we won't talk about it. And I know, like, particularly in the church, because we have this high bar for loving each other as well, right? Like in the church, like, because we're the people of love and God is a God of love, we all ought to meet this super high expectation of loving each other. And don't get me wrong, there's something really good and true in that. But guys, people are not mind readers. Just because you're coming to church on a Sunday, you're coming to GC, you're rocking up, people don't know what you're going through if you don't tell them. Like a facial expression isn't enough, right? And then I go home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they, they didn't get around me. Didn't they get my text message, which didn't actually say anything? Like people can't read minds. We need to be invited in. See, life is not always joy and laughter. It doesn't always have to be wins and successes and social media highlight reels. And that means that we are free to be real, firstly with ourselves 
And then that freedom with ourselves frees us to be real with God and with other people. So all our seasons are valid. The second thing that this passage means for us this morning is that we ought to relinquish control of the future. This is one of the ways that we need to learn to respond to a passage like this by relinquishing control of the future. And so we stop trying to control the future because Scripture and our life experience tells us over and over and over and over and over again that despite our perceived notions of control, we are actually just not in control of time. We are not sovereign over time. That's God. And this, again, is so countercultural because our world tells us to make plans for everything. What's your five-year plan for life? What's your 10-year plan for your vocation? Where are you going and how are you going to get there? What's your whole life plan? When are you going to get that house? Or, you know, what are you thinking about family and kids and finding that right person? A culture tells us to make plans, but how many people in this room or maybe watching online know today that you had an idea about how your life was going to turn out, but as you sit there today and as you listen and watch, you realize, wow, my life is just totally different to what I thought it was going to be. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, maybe just neutrally. See, though we make predictions and plans, we are not in control of our seasons. Now, this doesn't mean that there's absolutely nothing in our control. Uh, We still have what the Bible would call human agency, human responsibility. And so we still have a responsibility. We'll We'll be held accountable for how we respond to things. And our decisions have power. But our decisions are much more in how we choose to use our time and what we do with it rather than how much time we have or what the nature of that time will be. I mean, I think the last couple of years has been a great witness and testimony to that fact. I mean, a couple of years of COVID and the pandemic, and like, who could have seen that coming? And like, I can control what I do in that space, but I can't control what's happening. I can't control what space it is. So the Apostle James, he puts it like this in his letter in chapter 4. Have a look on the screen's. The Apostle James, he says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Maybe we'll spend a year there. Maybe I'll travel to Europe for a year, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Or consider Jesus, who says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27, Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? A couple of years ago, uh, 2018, I had a series of panic attacks, completely debilitating. And from that point, I wrestled with anxious tendencies, anxious thoughts, uh, very irrational fears. Um, And it's funny, since that happened to me, when I think and talk about the future, and not like in terms of like tomorrow, but 
you know, so say, you know, we're having a baby in October or, you know, I want to do something next year or, you know, a substantial amount of time in the future. Uh, since the, that moment of experiencing those panic attacks and anxiety, I now typically say, if it's God's will. And it's not like this super holy, deliberate, like, I'm a pastor. Hey, I say, if it's God's will, right? Like, the reason I say that is because... When I went through those mental health challenges, I legitimately felt for the first time in my life like I couldn't trust anything. Like the ground that I had walked on my entire life that I thought was really steady and was a firm foundation. I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about like the physical ground, metaphorically. Like it felt shaky to me and nothing felt guaranteed. Like that was my anxiety. Like who knows if I'll be here in three months' time. Like, I hope I will, but I don't know. And I'm not saying that, like, everyone should have this really pessimistic view of life. But I think there was something really grounding in that experience is that my panic attacks revealed to me the truth, which was true all along. I just hadn't seen it. It was that my illusion of control, my... Well, my perceived notions of control and certainty that I was in control of my life and only the things that I wanted to happen or willed to happen would happen, that was just completely obliterated. And so I started saying, yeah, like God willing, we'll do this. God willing, we'll do that. God willing, this will happen. Because I'm not sovereign over time and neither are you. And so God wants us to live as a humble people who relinquish our perceived notions of control in the future, excuse me, because that is exactly what they are. Perceived notions, illusion, perception. So we learn to relinquish control of the future. So the first thing is all our seasons are valid, Second thing is we relinquish our control of the future. And the third way that we respond to this passage, the third thing that it means for us, is we learn to wait on God. We learn to wait on God. Now, as I say that, I'm aware that waiting might be one of humanity's most universally disliked activities. Does anyone really like to wait? We've been waiting for our NBN to get connected all week. I tell you what, that has been a joy. Praise the Lord. But the reason we don't like waiting is because there's nothing that you can do to make the wait go faster, I think. That's primarily the reason we don't like it. It's outside of our control. We have to exercise patience. Oh, my goodness. And there's nothing that you can do to speed the process up. I remember traveling uh, a number of years ago from Sydney to Boston with a bunch of friends on a short holiday, and that's a 13-hour flight from Sydney to LA, then it's an almost six-hour flight from LA to Boston, but the worst part was the six-hour layover in between. Now, I know there might be some frequent flyers, traveling businessmen in the room, you're like, six hours, psh, whatever, I just go to the lounge, have a shower, you know, get my first-class food. I didn't have that. And LAX is not a nice airport. It's hot. It's muggy. 
you're just like sitting there. It's not particularly clean. Like this isn't like Singapore airport or like Dubai, like beautiful places. They're like hotels, right? But LAX, it's not nice. And so we're sitting there. It was hot and muggy. It was the worst part of the wait. And um, it was so funny. We got on the plane and we've been traveling for about 20 hours at that point, starting the trip from LA to Boston, already traveled 20 hours. And we hadn't been able to sleep because it was so like hot and gross in the airport. Um, and we all fell asleep, me and my two friends, basically passed out as the plane was leaving LAX. And we woke up with about half an hour to go before the descent. And the waitress, the stewardess, sorry, I apologize. The stewardess came up to us and she goes, oh, phew, I thought you guys were dead. Do you want some snacks? And then she proceeds to go and get us all these snacks that we can eat. But we're not good at waiting. Our world has discipled us to be inherently bad at it. I mean, think about it. Our culture dislikes waiting so much that we keep inventing things that will speed up processes so that waiting can be decreased. Like, I know the IT guys are going to disagree with me, or maybe the creatives, because you're uploading all the time. But like 5G, like 4G was fast enough. Like even 3G was pretty fast. And yet this passage shows us why it's important to learn how to wait on God. And the reason is this, because God, not us, is the one who is in control of time. And so as we relinquish control of the future, you know, maybe that sounded a bit discouraging to you. Like, oh, I've got to let go of control. What do I do then? Where, where do I look? Who do I trust? As we relinquish control, we don't do that to adopt this fatalistic mentality like you know whatever will be will be that's not what i'm saying as we relinquish control of our future of time we learn how to trust and wait on god so i've got a quote here if you're taking notes you can write this down it says relinquishing control can either lead us to hopelessness or patient perseverance as we wait on God and deepen our trust in Him. Relinquishing control can either lead us to hopelessness or patient perseverance as we wait on God and deepen our trust in Him. And you know, as I was preparing uh, this message this week, as I was studying, I just had this deep sense in my heart, in my soul, uh, that there are people here today that God wants to share this word with because uh, you're someone and you're here today, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, and the truth is you're in a season that you don't want to be in. You're in a season that you don't want to be in. And I, I just had this strong sense as I was preparing, God putting people like this on my heart, and I don't know what it is for you. Right? I'm, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's something you've been waiting for in regards to work or a promotion or an opportunity. I don't know if it's uh, healing in your family. I don't know if it's a relationship that maybe you're waiting to get into or maybe it's a relationship that you are in and you're waiting for it to take the next step. Maybe you're waiting on God for something. I don't know what it is for you, but I believe that God wants to say to you this morning, 
the truth is, you can't make it come any sooner. You can't make it come any sooner. And God will bring it to pass when it is His will. And your job right now, your job right now is not to strive, not to manufacture, not to try and force it. It's not to fret. It's not to spend every day worrying and being anxious. Your job right now is to trust Him and to wait for His perfect timing. And I don't know who who it's for. I don't know what it is for you. But I believe that in this moment, God is trying to teach you something. And He's trying to teach you to lay down your self-sufficiency. To stop trying to control the situation and trust His timing. Let God be God and let you be you. Just be faithful with where you are, with what's in front of you right now in this season. And as I close, I want to encourage you, if that is you, that you can trust God's timing. In fact, everyone here, because if you're not in this season now, maybe you were at one stage, and if you haven't been, maybe you will be in the future. You can almost count on it, because life is full of seasons, and they come and they go, and we spend time waiting. And I want to encourage you that you can trust in God's timing, because He never gets it wrong he doesn't it might not look like what you thought it was going to look like it might not be what you expected it to be but God's timing isn't off he hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel you know Psalms in in, in fact Psalm says God is the one who never slumbers and never sleeps in fact he he watches over us he hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel he hasn't forgotten about you trust his timing he always comes through at just the right time and you might say James well how do you know that how do you know that God always comes through at just the right time and my answer is because he's already proved it in his son he's already proved it in his son listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 listen to this Paul says, but when the right time came, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. When the right time came, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to sin so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, Paul is saying that exactly the right time, God sent Jesus into the world to pay our debt, to do what was necessary so that we could be free, so that we could be God's children, so that we could be adopted into His family. And I don't know if you've heard the gospel before. I don't know if this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus. But when God sent Jesus into the world, it wasn't random timing. It wasn't like just by chance. No, God had a plan and at just the right time, He sent His Son. 
And if God has got the timing perfectly right with the most important thing that he could ever do for us, with the most important gift that he could ever give us, with the most profound way that he could ever provide for us and give us exactly what we need, then how could it be that his timing isn't right for the other things in your life that he knows you need? Like you're his child. And so this is why we can have confidence to wait on Him. Because God got the timing right with Jesus to give us the most precious gift, the most valuable possession of His own, the one person that we needed the most to do what we couldn't do. And if you're here today, maybe uh, you're not normally someone who you know, comes to church. I don't know. I know we got fans, friendly, friendly. We got friends and family here after the baptisms, and maybe this is the first time that you're hearing about Jesus. And I believe that not only did He send Jesus at the right time, I believe that He's put you in this room at just the right time as well to know that there is a God out there who loves you, who sent His Son for you. So that despite our imperfections, despite the things that we've done, the things that we experience, the things that we go through, despite all of our mess, we can know Him, our Creator. We can have eternal life with Him forever. No matter what the seasons are in this life, we know what that season in the next will be like. And so family, Anchor Church, whatever season you find yourself in today, whatever you're waiting on God for, I don't know what that is for you, but what I do know is that He is trustworthy and He is good. And He calls us today to relinquish control. Just, just let that go. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't panic. Don't strive. And trust Him. Continue to learn to trust Him and wait on Him today. As the band comes out, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. And God, so often we live with this belief, Lord, which is just an illusion that we are in control of our days, Lord, that we are in control of our seasons. But you are the one, you are the only one who is sovereign over time. And sometimes we don't, we don't know that. We don't see that. We don't realize that until the very ground that we walk on begins to shake. Uh, but for every person here today, Lord, no matter where they are at, no matter what they might be waiting on you for, I pray, Lord, by your Spirit that you would teach us, teach me, God, how to wait on you, how to trust in you more and more, how to relinquish this sense of control that I try and live with. And so, God, Holy Spirit, I pray now uh, in this time of response that you would minister to our hearts, uh, that you would give courage to those whose courage is failing, that you would strengthen the feeble knees of those who are struggling to keep standing. God, give us the strength, give us the grace, give us your very breath, Lord, by your Spirit to continue trusting in you, waiting on you, depending on you, in every season, God, regardless of what our eyes see before us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.